want to welcome you to the Arrow Heights podcast, broadcasting live from Arrow Heights Baptist Church in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. My name is Ryan Smith. My name is Nathan Copeland. And I'm Josh White. How y'all doing? Doing well. Good. good. Glad to have you back. It's good to be back. Man, I feel like we haven't sat here. It's only been two weeks, but it's like, I'm ready to be back in a group, you know? Absolutely. Like, let's settle into some routine. Yeah. This no is more. kind of the first week, because last Monday was New Year's Day. And so this is kind of the first week getting back in the regular schedule of programming. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate you guys taking over and running with it, even though I was gone. So we found all your sound I, effects. I heard. I did <laughs> listen to the podcast, and you found you found all of them. Well, you didn't find all of them. <laughs> you didn't know there's multiple pages. Uh, now you do. We'll have to wait till next time. I told I told the guys that I was listening to the podcast with. I'm I'm really glad they didn't find the voice encoder ones because <laughs> oh, wow. that's just too good not to like i gotta be there to play with that so. yeah it would become a much longer podcast <laughs> probably so <laughs> sweet well it, it was a good podcast too by the way thanks I, I liked the whole movie thing it was long yeah that's okay it was applicable was that actually a question or you just you just had it in your mind to yeah we got some questions yeah yeah yeah, yeah. we did we did uh, that's good. No, it was great. Uh, I, now I can't, I can't let this go. I, I just can't let this go because as we were listening to the podcast and I, and I'd known who's we, know, uh, me and the guys that I was driving back from Louisville with, uh, Aiden Catlin, David Kerman, Shahi, Johnny, Seth, Bryson, all these guys uh, had a good college conference last week. It was a good time. Uh, we we're listening to the podcast on the way back and laughing like you guys did a great job. It's hilarious. Uh, but I, I don't, I, I feel like when I'm gone, like stuff gets missed. Mm. And this is a big deal because you guys just tiptoed right past the fact that Ryan went to see the Barbie movie by himself. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, danced right past it. Nathan, what you're not doing your job. You're not keeping I our, was, our guy. I like, was thinking that. Like, what, what, who were you with? You just by yourself? I mean, I was thinking that, but I didn't bring it up. I mean, I totally get the the whole, like, you know, I'm going to go see it for, like, just to, to figure out what culture is speaking to, <clears> and this is going to be, a, this this Barbenheimer thing is going to be a big, I need to be able to speak into it. But then you get to the end, and you're like, and, and at the end of the Barbie movie, I, I really realized I wanted to bring my wife back to see what she thought about it, too. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> Hey. Uh, see, I get to use the buttons too. Okay. Two things. One, I totally own it. Yes. I did go see Barbie all by myself and felt really weird because it, it was it was me and then there were like four other like groups of teenage girls who all dressed up. Yeah. You know. So um in anyway, they they were doing so their thing. That's why you had the bleached hair. <laughs> <laughs> but but here's here's the thing. How do you invite someone right. to go watch Barbie with you? You know, like, it wasn't like I was going for the inter pure entertainment factor. Like, oh, I really want to see Barbie. You know, it, it, Allison didn't necessarily want to see it, and so I was like, well, I go to movies by myself all the time, all the time. I I love it. It's a it's a wonderful wonderful thing. But had I reached out to one of you and said, hey guys, you want to go watch Barbie? <laughs> <laughs> Would that have been more of an issue or more concerning than the fact that I went and saw it by myself? I uh, I have so many thoughts, <laughs> but I cannot say them in the way that they're going to be recorded right now. <laughs> See, so that's the dilemma. That's right, right. That's the dilemma. I so I, I, I own it. it. I, I went it. and watched it by myself, but that is that is why. I, I didn't want the awkwardness of going with someone else. Even Even that would be awkward. Like, <laughs> hey a couple of guys going to see Barbie? Is that weirder than a guy going to see Barbie? I, I think equally weird. I, I Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would, have been, I would have been way too manly to say yes, but really just my wife wouldn't let me go. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, my wife went and saw it and she hated it. So I was like, like yeah, anyways, I, yeah. I'll let her speak to that. But uh, for the record, I saw Oppenheimer by myself as well. I, I kind of assumed that. And that makes yeah. sense. Like it just, yeah, but. Yeah. Barbie, hmm. great deal. Uh, well, I didn't have any favorite movies last year. I didn't go. I got kids, man. It's hard to go see movies. Like we just. I mean, I know you guys got kids too, but uh, I went and saw Trolls. Don't recommend it. Mm-hmm. Horrible. It's horrible. And then, I've had a couple of movies recommended to me just over the past couple of days. Yeah. Is it Godzilla minus one? I've I've heard is good. I've I'm like really heard like on the the Gospel Coalition. Someone put that as their like number one movie of the year. 
Huh. Whoa. Yeah. Some gospel-centered individual. Huh. Said I'm it was sure really, what that says about yeah. the gospel coalition. Also, <laughs> a lot. The, boy, the boys in the boat, true. which is a, yes. a George Clooney thing. Uh, a guy was just recommending that to me. And I, I remember saying, like, yes, I would love to see that. I just saw a preview for it and thought, man, that would be great. But haven't been, haven't been yet. Yeah, I've heard good things. I haven't seen a preview for it, but I've heard very good things as well. You know, we have some uh, resident moviegoers, uh, Jason and Kim Black, the whole Black family. That's their thing, movie thing. So if you need to know reviews on okay. movies, just talk to them. So. Mm. We did go see Migration as a family. Nice. And we went and saw uh, another family movie. Willy Wonka? We <laughs> saw yes, Wonka. We saw Willy Wonka, and it was great. Both of those were fantastic. Yeah. Nothing in them that you have to be worried about as a pit, which is so difficult in today's environment, and in large part because of Disney. Mm -hmm. uh, Disney's making that decision to do that to themselves, and I think Illumination, who did Migration, and I don't know who did Wonka, but I think they're paying attention and saying, let's just make good movies for the family. Yeah. First thing Lara said to me when we walked out of Wonka, and it was it was nice going to a movie and not getting the sense that there was an agenda. Yes. Like they weren't pushing anything. It was just wholesome. It was good. We went and saw it with the Krebs, and it was like you walked out, and I was like, man, that was just a just a good movie. So, mm. yeah, echo that. And, in fact, Larry and the boys went back and saw it again last week, which <laughs> we never go see a movie twice, but they liked it so much. They were like, yeah, we don't have anything going on. Let's do it again. So, yeah. uh, good movie. Sweet. Well, hey, we got questions. We got uh, four questions, three or four questions that we're going to get to today. Um, the first one, uh, we're just going to dive in deep, is a question that came in, not about anything specific. It was, uh, actually came up from a conversation that I was having with my guys last week, uh, and they decided to text it in. Um, so this comes from David, but uh, he says this, when Jesus asked the Father to take the cup away from him, it seems like he's doubting the plan, although the plan was set before the foundation of the earth. How do you guys best explain this? Mm. Mark chapter 14? Uh, 14, 30-ish. 30 32 to 42 is the Garden of Gethsemane. Okay. Do you want me to read that? Yeah, go for it. I can just uh, read that section. Uh, starting in 32, it says, And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John, and began to, great, to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell... Uh, on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all these things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, and their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer to what to answer him. And he came the third time and said, "Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand." Yeah, I'll, the first first thing to note is some, some people have tried to explain this uh, away as perhaps you know he's just saying it, emphasizing his will. I, I think you have to see it in the context of he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. He was very sorrowful, even to death. Uh, and he fell on the ground and prayed this. So this this was uh, not a show. This was not just words for Peter, James, and John to record, to have later in posterity. Uh, this was a legitimate... Uh, the word struggle is not necessarily what I w want to use. I think the word weight. Mm -hmm. This is a considerable weight upon Jesus. And so that that context has to has to be there first. Uh, but then to the question of, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but you but what you will. We have to take all of those things together. But it does look like, and this is where we can throw out different words. You know, was was Jesus doubting? Was Jesus did Jesus have a secondary will mm -hmm. uh, in um, you know in opposition to the fathers? What what's he actually asking for? And I think 
you, the case could be made that he's not going against the Father's will. Uh, he's simply asking, is there another option? Um, he says, all things are possible for you. So, you know, that's open, opening up all things on the table. Remove this cup from me, the cup of God's wrath, yet not what I will, but what you will. So he's saying, this Father is in your hands. Um, remove this cup from me because all things are possible for you. Is, is, this, is this a possibility? Jesus is not wanting to back out of the cross. I don't think this is uh, the Son questioning even the, the plan that was set from before, from before the foundation of the world. I think this is a matter of that, that weight upon a human being who is also God, mm-hmm. um, but feeling that legitimate weight. Uh, and that's where the the sorrow and the questions come in. But but I don't know. There's a lot to explore here. So it's good. No, the I read verse 36 there as a statement of submission, but submission to the Father's will in the face of what is for us really unimaginable, horrible suffering. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's the physical suffering of the cross. It's a painful, shameful way to die. But even more than that is Jesus is anticipating this curse being being cut off from his father right which is is really impossible for us to fully understand what's happening there he says my god my god why have you forsaken me well we know the answer uh, given given all that the gospel says Jesus was cut off so we could be brought in you know he was forsaken so that we could be part of this kingdom part of part of God's family forever um, never to be cut off, never to be forsaken. Um, and just the the prospect of that kind of suffering is, like you said, a weight upon him. Um, so yeah, I, I view it again as a statement of submission, not a statement of doubt or, or uh, rebellion in any way, just submission in the face of what's coming. Um, and and I, I think you're right to say uh, all of those details that Mark is giving us and the other gospel writers just emphasize that. This is this is the most horrible moment in the history of the world, and Jesus feels that, um, as he should. So I, I think um, the, the question does get to, I think, a maybe a deeper question or maybe a second question, and that is, how does the Father relate to the Son in this way? What does it mean that Jesus submits to the Father, yet he is himself fully God? How can he be fully God, and be, at one point Jesus says in John 14, uh, the Father is greater than I. How does that work? And I think that's a, uh, a difficult question, but it's something that I think that the question kind of points to because this plan was set forth before the foundation of the world. That's what uh, Revelation chapter 13 talks about. And for me, at least, the Puritans are helpful in this regard because what the Puritans saw in Scripture and of course, we talk about the Puritans. There's a bunch of a bunch of them. We could get into the history of who these guys are, but they're just pastors at a particular time in history that were working out really some of the theology that we still, as Baptists, as as evangelical kind of Reformation Christians, we really still hold dear and and follow much of what they taught. Um, but they were really helpful in uh, seeing this theme across all of Scripture called the covenant, right? And a covenant is just simply an agreement between two or more people. And when you think about the covenants in Scripture, you know, the covenant of works with Adam, right? The covenant uh, with creation, with Noah, the uh, covenant with Abraham, right? Which is, of course, provides the, the, the pattern, we might say, for our salvation for the new covenant, mm-hmm. uh, simply by faith alone, by receiving what God has done. Think about the covenant with uh, Moses, the, the Sinai covenant, covenant uh, the law covenant, Mosaic covenant. Think about the Davidic covenant, right? Think about the new covenant, which is promised. These are really important moments throughout the history of God's plan of redemption that we see throughout Scripture. And what the Puritans did was they sort of saw the importance of that and kind of looked at certain passages in Scripture. Isaiah 49, for example, there are passages in the Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord kind of uh, passages. Passages in the New Testament, um, that speak of this relationship between the Father and the Son, they looked kind of back before time began and say, well, there seems to be a covenant between Father and Son. They called it the covenant of redemption. And that's a helpful idea, I think, in this way, 
because what it essentially does is sort of help us understand uh, sort of the 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 pattern or sort of the, the the ground, the reason why salvation plays out the way it does in God's plan of redemption, but also helps us kind of understand how God the Father and God the Son are co-equal. They are they are they share the exact same divine nature, and yet in space and in time, right uh, for us for our salvation, Jesus uh, became a man. He took on our human flesh to accomplish the salvation that God had planned from before the foundation of the world. And he does so in that what some people call the economic trinity, okay, as opposed to kind of the ontological trinity, who God is within himself. In space and time, in history, here comes Jesus to accomplish this plan. And he does so as the God-man, as the incarnate Lord, but without in any way giving up his deity in any way giving up his essential nature as God. The covenant of redemption sort of helps us understand how that works. It, it, can't, it can't explain everything because we're talking about God here, right? But there is this plan from before the foundation of the world. That, that phrase occurs uh, at least two or three times in the Bible. There's something that happened beforehand. Uh, Hebrew speaks of the blood of the eternal covenant, right? How that plays out in history is what we see in the Gospels. And there are some moments where you go, wait a minute, I thought Jesus was God. How is he speaking of God in this way? But that's a way to understand what is happening there in space and time. It's playing out this covenant of redemption that goes back before uh, even creation. Hmm. Now, do you think, and, and this is just uh, asking for, you know, just my own, you know, I'm a ditch digger, right? I, construction guy digging ditches. Like uh, when, when Jesus does these kind of things uh, to kind of further that question, do you think it's, uh, is it, is it, and maybe you spoke to it early on, but is it him actually struggling with them? Or is, do you think he's giving it to us as a pattern for us to imitate uh, or emulate? Uh, you know, the, the way that he struggled with, not, not, not even struggled necessarily, but the way that he um, went to the Lord uh, and cried out to him. Um, in a moment of anguish, obvious, um, mm -hmm. like and and yet submissively, just like you said, um, yet not what not what I will, but what you will. Do you think there's? I mean, obviously, there's application for us there, but do you think that's all that it was? I don't think it was all that it was, because he was uh, he was definitely in a state of anguish, the the state of feeling feeling that great weight, and. I, I, th I think a, a similar way, perhaps, that we could draw a comparison would be if some tragedy happened to to me tomorrow. Uh, what I the way I hope I would respond is to say, you know, God, this is this is your will. I am. You are God. You planned this before the foundation of the world. Uh, I am on board with your will. If there's any you know, that completely, also please take this away from me. Mm. You know, because we we see that in 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 scripture, uh, you know, praying for healing, having the, the the elders gather around and anointing someone who who is sick. You know, and, and asking proactively for something to be within the realm of God's will, even if it's not what we see happening right now. You know, if there's somebody in our family, perhaps, who is straying and running from God, I think we should pray, Lord, please save that person. You know, you're, you're praying for a redirection, but in no way are you actually praying contrary to God's will. You're simply, you're simply saying, this you know, th this is this is me. This is me talking to you, my my father. Mm -hmm. You know, and this is what I'm feeling, and this is what I'm thinking. Completely, I understand the place and the you know, but he wants to hear from us, and so I think this is perhaps what that looked like for Jesus in that in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a mistake to think that we are twisting God's arm, and that mm -hmm. He's going to change His plan based on something. Um, unforeseen, you know, that we bring to his attention, something of that nature. And what, you don't want to? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come on! Yeah. And obviously, love tragedy. <laughs> obviously, that's not at all what you're saying, yeah. but I think it's helpful to recognize that 
in that working out of God's sovereign plan, um, one of the means God uses is the prayers of his people. Mm-hmm. And so in that sense, from that kind of angle, it's true to say, yeah, if we don't pray for it, we, we won't get it, right? Again, not that we are the ultimate determining factor, right? We do not work out all things according to the counsel of our own will. That's God's job. But in that will, in that plan, our prayers play a role that God has ordained, right? Yeah. And so it's it's essential to pray when God uh, commands us to pray, which I think the Bible says always, yeah. right? Um, so anyway, I, I think the um, the way I might come at your question a little bit, what comes to my mind is coming at it from kind of other Bible characters and mm-hmm. then to Jesus. So Jesus obviously embodies this, what have we said, prayer, this uh, realistic submission perfectly. Um, you see this in some other places, uh, like the, the the prophet Habakkuk, for example, or Job, right, who is, you know, says a lot of things that we go, yeah, I agree with Job. And then at the end, he's kind of rebuked somewhat. <laughs> and his certain, certainly his friends are definitely rebuked at the end of Job. Uh, and they say some helpful things too, which is really an interesting, uh, an interesting thing. The Psalms are filled with language that really makes us sort of uncomfortable. Like, can we talk to God like this in prayer, you know? Um, and I think that the way I would kind of put it is it's such a blessing that the Bible does not come to us like an encyclopedia. It doesn't come to us even like a nice, tidy, systematic theology or like a confession of faith. It comes to us in this form of all of these narratives, this history, these covenants, again, and we get to see God's plan working out in the lives of real people. It's a very practical way to give us His Word mm-hmm. in that way. And so we can identify with these characters and kind of enter into their experience and take their prayers on where they're praying faithfully and righteously. Obviously, we don't want to imitate their sin, and there's plenty of that in the Bible. Sure. Um, but then Jesus embodies that perfectly. And sometimes, um, you know, we can read a passage like Mark 14 and just go, wow, what what, he, what is even going on here? When you realize Jesus is, that's what he's doing. He is taking the the stories of Israel. He is taking the stories of all the prophets. He is the great prophet, the true and better prophet, and he's embodying those things perfectly. And sometimes it's helpful to see how he fulfills what has come before and identify with, with all of it and know that when we don't do it perfectly— he did. Mm. So we are united to him by faith alone, uh, in covenant with him. There you go. That's the theme of the podcast, I think. Covenant. Yeah, he is our covenant head. He he suffers for us. We don't suffer perfectly. He did. Mm. Praise God. Mm. That's good. That's good. All right. On to the next question. Uh, another pod question uh, from a church member. Uh, didn't come on text, but texted to one of us. Uh, it says, we sang the song, Come Thou Fount, a couple of weeks ago. What does it mean? Uh, Here I raise mine Ebenezer. So it makes it a Christmas song, right? You've got to sing it. You've got to say it with a <laughs> Scottish accent, you know? Here I raise mine Ebenezer. Perfect. That's right. It's great. Can you sing it in that accent? Here I raise my Ebenezer. I need bagpipes. I totally need bagpipes. Man, I should have put that on the pads. That would have worked great. We'll work on that for next week. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> we'll have a segment, Scottish Songs with Josh. There you go. Podcast. I'll end up sounding like Shrek, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, anyways. Good question. Back to uh, the question. <laughs> yes, this was a question. That was uh, directed at me, I suppose. We sang that song, and I thought about even stopping and talking about that very thing before we sang it, um, but I didn't. I don't remember exactly why I chose not to, probably just because I'm always a little afraid of just talking too much. Josh talks, then Nathan talks too, then we sing, let's just sing, you know. But um, And then Ryan gets up and talks. It's just a lot of talking going on. Rich talks in the middle there. Everybody's talking. Let's sing. So Ebenezer is a stone of remembrance. That's essentially what it, I think it's a Hebrew word that is found in 1 Samuel chapter 7. I had to look that up. Um, not sure how much context to give here, but chapter 7 verse 12 of 1 Samuel says, Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mitzpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. 
So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. In my um, uh, ESV Bible here, there's a note that says, Ebenezer means stone of help. Hmm. I said stone of remembrance. I think that's another uh, way that people have talked about that. It's, it's kind of like recognizing what God has done and praising Him for it, kind of setting up a, a, a banner to say, look who our God is. Right and and to be reminded of his grace and his power in this instance against the Philistines, right? So that's that's what it is, and that's where the song comes from. Uh, Hither by thine help I've come. Mm. Yeah, it's quite a song. Well, it's a consistent theme through Scripture. I mean, you're reading yeah, right. through if you read cover to cover Old Testament specifically, like you've got uh, Israelites crossing into the Promised Land. They set up stones of remembrance after mm-hmm. they crossed to that's remember right. what the Lord had done. Is that in Joshua, faith really. Yep, yep. Joshua mm-hmm. one, I think, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, or Joshua four, somewhere, somewhere in Joshua. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you know throughout Scripture. Uh, even I mean, First, Second Kings, First, Second Samuel, like you see that theme coming up, like this, this needing to remember who God is mm-hmm. as, uh, as faithful uh, mm-hmm. and as one who accomplishes His promises and brings people from darkness into light. Yeah. Uh, I think that's yeah, that's consistent. So cool. And I don't think it's by accident that uh, Jesus Himself is the cornerstone. Cornerstone. He yeah. Is, he is the rock, right? He took. God took our feet out of the miry clay and set us upon a rock. We know ultimately who that rock is. Yeah. That's something we're not as good about as a culture and as a society. I mean, that's something that we see currently. We don't want to chase this rabbit trail, but, you know, we, we set up monuments. Uh, however, there's kind of currently a, a trend towards removing or adjusting or put up putting up different mon- monuments. Monuments are a way of remembering, remember a way of uh, recognizing that God helped and God acted. You know, there's there's a thing that it, it kind of goes back interestingly to our discussion about Christmas Day. You know, I, that's the only really kind of type of monument that I can think of that we've set up as holidays. Mm-hmm. You know, we've set up Christmas and we set up Easter, but even those we have completely changed and and reoriented in a lot of ways within the within the culture but uh what what do you think just just quickly are are some practical ways that a family could perhaps raise some ebenezers uh in their own household to remember times that god was really faithful and brought them to or through something ah so i've seen uh this is like youth ministry 101 like what are some what are some tactile, tangible things we can do to remember stuff. Uh, family specifically, I think, and it's not something we've put into practice, but I think it would be good uh, that if you're, if you're wanting to do that, anytime uh, a prayer is answered or, or you're praying for something specifically, you take a rock and put it in a jar. Uh, it's, it's not a swear jar. You know, you're not putting quarters in every time you say a bad <laughs> word. But like, if you pray a prayer, you put, uh, if that prayer is answered, you put that that little stone, you write something on it to remember it and you put it in a jar. And so eventually you can see this, uh, this visual of ways that the Lord has worked, um, in your family specifically. Uh, I think it'd be one, one cool way to do it. Um, are you guys fans of tattoos? No, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just kidding. We're not going to go there today, but uh, you know, it's like, uh, I mean, these people do things like that to remember, uh, big events. So uh, any other, any other thoughts? Well, my, my wife, uh, when her mother passed away, you know, we inherited some of her things. And it's been interesting to watch how my wife has sort of incorporated some of those things into daily life. Other things are just kind of around the house. They're just kind of uh, things to remember her by. Obviously, pictures are a big deal. They're just certain images. Oh, sorry about that. Certain images that um, you can kind of see, and it just takes you back to that time and place. And my wife is my wife is big about that. So I think all those things are are important. And then this sounds almost kind of cheesy, but almost like saving clippings. You know, I know people do this with their Facebook uh, memories and that sort of thing. But uh, my aunt just passed away, and she or my great aunt actually, and my mom and I went up to to Kansas City just to see. Uh, family and to, and to be part of her memorial service and she was a basketball coach so we got to come out on the floor with the family i was like are we are we this close to family we get to come out on the floor cool. and be reckoned yeah it was pretty fun but anyway they had just this whole display of just articles that were written about her and things like that and it was really cool i took a picture of a few of them 
uh, because, I mean, for me, certainly uh, being part of her family and, and my grandfather's family, right, um, and just the, the benefit of that has been such a blessing to me. And to remember that and to just recognize, um, you know, those people are, are part of me. They're part of my story, and I'm part of them. We're part of something much bigger, almost like what you were preaching on Sunday, you know. Um, so anyway, a few, a few simple ways like that. Uh, y- you know, you could—I know people have, like, Bibles and, and things like that from family members. I think that's important. I mean, I have a Bible here. This just belonged to me. This didn't belong to anyone else. But someday— the fact that my son may, or daughter, or granddaughter, or whoever is reading this Bible—that's an important thing. And I've got a few of those types of type of items. I can read the ESV, or I can read the King James in another copy. But there is something um, tangible, like you're saying, that helps us remember that we're part of something much bigger than just our little moment in time. Mm-hmm. That can be really strengthening and really encouraging. I think so. I, yeah, I think it's a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sweet. Um, so, you know, as we talk about church, church structure, um, over the next few weeks, uh, both Sunday mornings and in the beginning on Wednesday nights in, in a week, um, what, what are some ways as we talk about church structure, the doctrine of the church, what are some ways that, uh, parents can emphasize that doctrine to children and students specifically? Any thoughts on that? Just practically. Yeah, I can jump in there. Number one. Bring your children to church. It's, it's a good one. Is that a good place to start? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I did, I, uh, this was not even at this church, but there was a person that I had a conversation with one time who, you know, they're teenagers. And hey, I have a lot of teenagers. I can understand. It can be it can be a struggle at times, but they were saying how, well, you know, my, my child, my children, they don't really want to come, you know? So we, we talk about it. We encourage them, you know? And I'm like, wait a minute, do you feed them? Do they live in your house? Do they enjoy the air conditioning or, or in the wintertime, the heater? Bring them to church. You know, like this is not a negotiable thing. And, and to start when they're really young, uh, you know, one thing my wife and I have talked about a little bit is, you know, we're not these days as consistent as we have been or, sh- or should be or would like to be with just family devotions. But I, I hope that when my, my children leave, if they are not part of a consistent church fellowship, if they're not doing family devotions on a consistent basis. I hope that it really feels to them not like, oh, good, I'm glad I'm rid of all that stuff. I hope it feels like something is missing, you know, that these are just the patterns and the rhythms and the habits of daily life that Christians uh, involve themselves in, not because we have to or because we're trying to earn more of God's love or something, but because we get to and because this is what uh, these are kind of the means of grace that he lays out for us, and we know that we're walking in that path where there is sure to be blessing because God's Word promises it, right? Um, so anyway, that's just the first thing is just make sure they come to church. Right? Second thing that comes to my mind is pray for and work for and serve for uh, a healthy church because, man, that is so important. And I've been part of a lot of churches in, in my life, and most of them, by God's grace, have been great. Some of them, not as great. And and you can really see how that would be much more of a struggle to help younger people understand the importance of and the blessing of the local church. If the church is just not healthy, if it's just not following kind of biblical patterns in, in various ways, if, if it's not founded on and, and shaped by the Word of God in real uh, obvious and tangible ways, it's going to be a much harder sell, you know, to those kids to to really help them understand how central this is in the Christian life. So bring them to church, and man, work and pray for a healthy church. That's good. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely echo both of those. Love, love that. Uh, also, I think just there are two things that I would mention. One is prioritizing the relationships within the church, uh, there, and, and this, this goes into a whole further discussion, I, I know, but especially as kids get older, there are many, many things that they can participate in, many circles that they can run in and be involved in. Uh, there is nothing that will set the pattern for lifelong discipleship like developing and investing in relationships within the local church. Uh, And that's not even to say that that's just within their peer group or friend group. Uh, Even beyond that, uh, 
getting to know multi-generations within the church, having a lot of spiritual grandmas and grandpas, you know, in a church, even those that you are bringing along, discipling. But for, for those particularly uh, who are younger within the household, using the vocabulary of church family, uh, that's something that we've tried to be real intentional about. You know, this is our church family. Oh, if we see somebody at Handmade or out and out and about at Chipotle, oh, you know, my kids say, "Who is that?" Oh, well, they're part of our church family. Mm-hmm. You know, to to help de- define and set some of those parameters. But uh, so that's kind of the second thing is use use that type of language. But to go back to the to go back to the first, if there are circles of influence whether that outside of the church that's that's wonderful and that's great and that should be but wherein those become in competition always prioritize the relationships within the church mm-hmm. um, because that if, if, if your children plug in there for the rest of their lives that will set a standard and that will set a as, as you said a regular rhythm and also as part of looking for a church, to plug into, uh, look at how the church prioritizes some of those things. Is are they bent towards creating isolated Christians, isolated Christianity, uh, whereas everything's kind of served up individually, or is there an element to where the church is seeking to be and interact as a family, not just when things are easy or good or slick and smooth, but as with any family, when we're going through different difficulties as different members of the family are struggling. How would we minister to our regular family uh, in the same way? How can we minister to our church family? Mm. Uh, you know, so, so applying some of those proactive measures and letting your kids see mm. some of those things. Yeah, that's good. I think even emphasizing serving within the context of a local church too is very important as a family. Like, and, and so uh, this isn't just a place you come and sit. Um, it can be, there are seasons for that and they're very, very much needed uh, to, to rest and, and just uh, drink in the Lord's grace um, here. Uh, but also if you're, you're here serving and playing a part, it goes to the, uh, it speaks to the larger reality of your participant. You're a participant here in a part of this place. It's not, uh, and I don't want to preempt uh, sermons coming up or, or, or talks over the course of the semester necessarily, but uh, you're an integral part uh, of this body that if you're not active, we're not functioning at full capacity, you know, in the way that the Lord has designed us to do. And so uh, just, emphasizing as uh, as parents that, you know, we're going here to serve. We're going here to uh, give to the Lord of our time and our talents in a way that only we can do. Uh, only you, uh, Caleb, Asher, and Eli White, only you can do as a part of this body. Uh, and so I, I think just, and doing that in a way that is not obligatory, like uh, we have a tendency to just be like, ugh, I got to go serve. I'm working on the hospitality team. I got to go make some coffee or got to go work on the safety team or like, like you can, the way that you say things uh, emphasizes what your priority is or where your heart is in a lot of ways. And so if it's, if it's a drag to come to church, like let's talk, like we want to try to make this a place that's uh, a place that's joyful <laughs> to serve and be a part of, because that's how it should be. If it's, if it's not, then let's, let's have a conversation. So, I was just gonna. Yeah, first of all, is it integral? Integral. 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 Either way, I say integris. Integris. You said integral. 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 I don't know. Just kind of struck me. Integral. Um, Just to pick up on something you said. (laughs) You said um, we've always talked to our kids about how, and this 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 sounds a little cheesy, but this is the way we would put, especially when they were young. But it's just carried over to now when they're older. Is church friends are special friends. You know, and it's to emphasize to them, listen, your best friends, probably, I mean, I don't know if I have one Bible verse to point this to, to point to necessarily to, to prove this, but your best friends should be Christians. You know, if, if, if your three closest friends just don't know Christ at all, that, that's strange. If you, as a, as a young person, claim to be a Christian, it seems to me, if we have the Spirit of God, we're going to be attracted to those who have the Spirit of God. It reminds me of a, a quick story about D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a famous preacher. And, you know, he was running with the high society people in London. He was a, a doctor, 
Uh, some people say he, he may have even been prime minister if he had not gone into ministry. But he said at one point, he, he really, I think he says, like, I knew I was converted because I would so much rather spend my time talking to the poor washerwoman about Christ and the gospel than run in the, the circles of high society in London, you know. Mm-hmm. I just thought, man, that's really something. You know, he felt a connection with her in a, in a more uh, uh, real kind of deeper way than even his his really brilliant friends that he was hanging out with. But anyway, as Christians, I think that's going to be the case. And so we should we should try to cultivate that, and we should try to look for those people that uh, we have in common the most important things. And certainly I think that's true for, for young people. Keith Getty, the, the hymn writer, he said one time, his grandma said, yeah, I already know how you're doing spiritually. I know what you're listening to. I know who you're hanging out with. <laughs> And that's all you need to know about some younger people because what they're listening to, who they're hanging out with, man, that's what's going to be influencing them. That's what they're going to be drawn to. That's where that's the direction they're going right there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, church friends are special friends. And church friends are not always the easiest friends, right? I can I can t- t- attest to that. But uh, these are our family members that we're going to be friends with, you know, forever. Mm-hmm. So let's cultivate that. Yeah. That's good. So there's some intentional things that perhaps parents can do with the, with their family and that would be, you know, if you are if you have young kids and you're doing like a play date or something like that, uh, prioritize doing an activity with another family in the church. Uh when you could do it with with anybody, you know, if you're going to see Barbie, invite, you know, <laughs> just for example. <laughs> yeah. Go in, invite <laughs> Invite someone in the church. You know, if, if you're if a couple is going out to dinner, you know, seeking seeking to make uh, relationships. Now, the church does not exist just so we can make relationships and have a social club, because right? that that can get easily out of out of order. Uh, but the church should be the first place that you look to create some of those relationships and where you may need to get uncomfortable outside of your comfort zone. You know, if someone comes and joins the church and they say, yeah, I want to be a part of this church, what they're saying is we want to be a part of this family. So perhaps you can extend yourself and to say, hey, let's go get a cup of coffee. I just want to get to know you better. So that cup of coffee is spent with that person from the church intentionally rather than uh, just by by oneself or with, with a, a work friend or something like that. Yeah. Church friends make the best friends. Hmm. Um, you know, I was telling somebody just on Sunday, had a conversation with a lady, and we were talking about how to get involved at our church, and I said it's so important just to to try to connect. It's it's impossible to connect everywhere and to be doing everything, but to, to be involved uh, intentionally with some of the uh, brothers and sisters here is so important because, and the way I put it to her was, it's not like everybody needs to be in your business, but somebody does. And it's a, it's a good question to ask oneself who who really knows what's really going on in your in your life in your heart in your family you know in your marriage and it's it's important because man we need counsel we need help we need people with wisdom to walk alongside of us and at least just pray for us at least just listen to us and at times maybe rebuke us right or really give us some strong direction like you really should consider doing this who would you trust, right, to, to give that kind of advice, other than those who have the Word of God, those who have the Spirit of God dwelling inside them? Christians make the best friends. Mm-hmm. Plug in. That's good. Well, not very often do we get uh, texts to the line uh, that are more that the need for response is more pastoral, um, but we did get one this time. And oftentimes, when the when we do get uh, those type of texts, I reach out to and connect with uh, just to make sure um, that we're following up with people that have that. And so we did get a text today, and I did follow up with them uh, to make sure they wanted us to put it on the on the pod just to make sure um, there was no uh, further conversations that we need to have. And we can do that. We totally want to welcome those texts if somebody's struggling, uh, struggling in their faith like this person. And so I'm going to read this, uh, and then we can just respond pastorally to this. Uh, I care for uh, our brother or sister. Uh, says, I'm struggling in the faith, but I don't know how to talk about it to anyone. Any advice? Mm-hmm. Simple question, but I think requires profound answers in a lot of ways. So, any thoughts? My, well, my first thought is, um, can you read the question again? Yeah, it, it's simple. It just says, I'm struggling in the faith. I'm struggling in faith, but I don't know how to talk about it to someone. Any mm-hmm. advice? Well, my first thought is, you can certainly talk to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And that's that's no small thing. Um, 
you know, just recently I, I woke up in the night and it was like three o'clock in the morning or something. And, you know, it was kind of, there were some things on my mind. And I remember hearing a guy uh, a while back, probably several years ago, just saying, you know, and actually I think he was a Roman Catholic. So this is kind of weird what he was saying, but he said, you know, when you wake up in the night, you can pray to Jesus who's standing right there by your bed. He is there. You know, God is there with you. And I was reminded of that in the morning, wee hours when I couldn't sleep, you know. Um, but whatever is in your heart, the Lord already knows. Um, certainly we want to pray, uh, you know, in ways that please Him. But whatever's there, He already knows. So we can really express our hearts. The, uh, Psalms, I think 62 says, pour out your heart before the Lord. Um, 62 verse 7 or 8 there. What a, what a great verse. What an encouragement that God invites us to call Him our Father, right, and, and all of the beautiful imagery and comfort that comes with that, and to just pour out our hearts to Him. That's first and foremost. And when you do that, especially when you do that with an open Bible, uh, you are going to kind of be led, I think, immediately. Uh, uh, without, any, without any doubt, you're going to be led by the Spirit to certain um, relationships and to do certain things, to take certain actions. And one of those is going to be to talk to someone. <laughs> what that looks like, I'm not sure in this particular context, but start there. Start by talking to the Lord about it. Uh, he is with you, and if you trust Him, He is in you. Mm. He knows already, but He invites you to pour it out before Him. And that is that is healing. Yeah, I'd, I'd also say preemptively, and I, I don't know the, the, the person's situation, I'm not speaking to to it in, in any way to chastise or, or anything, but this is why it's important to be plugged in in community with the local church. It's why it's important to be a part of a small group and to know others and to be known by others. So you have people to turn to who know what's going on in your life, uh, who are positioned uniquely to come alongside you with these things. So so I would say if, if you're plugged into a small group, if you are a part of the church, go to your small group. Don't feel like whatever it is you're wrestling with in the faith, one, don't feel like you should have to be ashamed of it, and then two, don't feel like you're the only one who's ever gone through it. Mm -hmm. So likely God has positioned someone in your small group or in the church that can sympathize who's perhaps been through the exact same faith struggles that you have. And so that's that's one reason that God gifts us to each other to just kind of go along with this sermon series. We, we talked about Sunday, the universal church, so there are those in Christ. And so that's kind of what this question might mm -hmm. say. Is, you know, well, well, who do I turn to? Well, that's why God has organized us together in you know, flesh and blood people covenant communities. So first I say to talk to the church. Now, obviously, we as pastors would love to help with that in any way that we can, um, but we're not the only ones who can. Go to someone that you trust. If there's not someone that you know personally, perhaps there's someone in the church that you have observed, an older Christian, uh, that you say, I, I think they're really solid in their faith. Mm -hmm. uh, and just say, can I, not, can I take you to coffee? And don't, don't feel ashamed to say, this is where I'm at. Mm -hmm. uh, and and that's, that's what discipleship is. Yeah, I think my my initial response back to the texter was, you know, this is a great first step. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. if you're struggling in the faith, reaching out and and saying you need uh, need help and encouragement, I think is a great first step. One other thing I would recommend is uh, checking to see. Um, I think oftentimes when we feel far from the Lord, we're either struggling with sin uh, or we've not been in the Word, which you could say is a sin as well. Uh, and so. Uh, that, that's the importance of community because people can can know you uh, and and share with you if they do see something in your heart that needs to be repented of, uh, something that you're struggling with or avoiding uh, having a conversation with the Lord about. Uh, I would say as you're reading scripture, read big God passages, you mm -hmm. know, to help encourage you. I, I think of if you're just at a low point and you're just struggling with, I mean, it's, it's January, right? My wife calls it the Monday of months. I, I think Monday, <laughs> January and February are like the, like the highest depression point. I think that our culture struggles with, uh, just because there's nothing to look forward to, right? It's just January for crying out, out loud. And so like, if you're struggling with just, just, just 
January, like <laughs> read Isaiah 40, like read Romans 8. Like uh, if you're a Christ follower, you can't read those passages and not come to a point of worship when you get to the end. You know, it's, I think having those in front of you, setting up stones of remembrance, you know, we just talked about that earlier, looking back and seeing what the Lord has done in your life leading up to this point, I think is one way to combat just struggling with where you're at spiritually. And there's so many questions that we could ask uh, of this person, like why why do you perceive struggling? What what does that struggling even look like? And so there's there's varying levels of struggling in faith, um, and we can't speak to all of them by any means. Uh, but I think these are just a few things that uh, that might help. So, one more comment from me. I think there's a I've used this story many times, maybe on this podcast. I don't know, but there's a story of a guy whose name slips my mind right now. Oh, might have been Dabney, one of those old theologians and and he was struggling he was an older man and he had kind of been forgotten and kind of put in this place of service he just felt like what am I doing here you know he moved away from his family and stuff to do this and it just wasn't working out well and he's writing these letters where he's really uh you know kind of complaining and sort of being uh, sort of saying essentially what the questioner said I'm just struggling in in the faith I'm struggling with my faith and at one point whoever he's writing to writes back to him and says you know it may be good for you to just forget your faith for a little while and look to the bridge. Look to the bridge. He says, if you're going to cross from one side to another and you've got something to do, you've you got to get to the other side. You can look at your own faith all you want to, and it's not going to help you. But you can look to the bridge. You can kind of begin to step on it. You can kind of shake it a little bit, and your confidence is just going to grow. And his point is, look to Christ. Christ is going to get you from where you are to where you need to be. Not your own faith, right? It's by grace we're saved through faith. It's ultimately God's work that's going to do it. But yeah, there are moments where we feel down and we're unsure, we're uncertain, we're doubting. Look to the bridge, right? Look to Jesus himself. Look to the pages of the gospel and see what he has done, what he promises to do. He'll get you there. Amen. Amen. That's great. That's a great, great way to end on. Well, we're done, right? Ended great podcast. If all you took away from this podcast is that Ryan loves Barbie... Tattoos should be used to remember things or how to say integral. Don't, don't combine those. <laughs> integral. Things. No, no, no. If all you took away were one of those three things, you need to hit rewind and go back and listen to it again because we've said a lot of good things today. What so. an integral Barbie tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Hey, thanks so much for listening to this edition of Arrow Heights Podcast. If you have more questions, the number is 918-280-9628. And we want to thank you for joining us. Talk to you next time.